Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Welcome to Tuesday Afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Coming up on the show today, later on, we'll hear from the new owners of Drahadi United. You've been hearing the story all day here and from last evening on LMFM Radio. Drahadi United now owned by an American uh, party, Travella, and uh, we're talking to them a little bit later on the show. Doreen Allen's with me today. She's a brand new book out about making bread. I may get rid of that bread maker that I have. Dr Kate McCann is with us. It's Men's Health Month, and she's talking about men's health today. But we begin today with a good friend of ours who I haven't spoken to for a while. But can I tell you, was she looking glamorous in The Independent on Saturday last? Sarah Carey, welcome back. Hello, Jerry. How are you? I'm really good. I have to say, did you look, you always look well anyway, but extra well, may I say, the weekend. You were writing about the, the power suit. You're very kind. I, 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 of course, all I see is my hair messed up and not done right, but I got lots of compliments about the picture, so thanks very much. Yes, I was writing about what women wear in the workplace. Mm. And I was making the point that in the 60s and 70s, the second wave feminism, when women were entering the executive uh, workplace, they wore suits. They wore what men wore. But fashions changed. And throughout the 90s and uh, on to today, the uniform look uh, for women in the workplace uh, became the form-fitting dress. Uh, this nice little dress. I picked them up in Hobbs for about 140 euros or something. And um, and they're very unthreatening. They're very nice. They're very feminine. And uh, and I was making the point that, you know, it, it's not necessarily the look that you really do want to have in the workplace. Mm. And could we say something for the power suit? Mm. So earlier this year, I saw an ad uh, with Best Menswear that they were bringing in a made-to-measure suit for women. So you could go along and have everything measured. And Jerry, you've met me, but your listeners might not. And they won't know that despite my voice, which projects, um, I'm a tiny little person and tiny little shoulders and things don't fit me great. So I seized the opportunity and I went and I had a suit made and it's so handy and mm. so fantastic and I really feel now I'm uh, definitely much more empowered, isn't that what they're <laughs> normally saying? And and just saves loads of time because I'm not there hitching around trying to find the right bloody underwear that goes with the correct dress <laughs> and all of that. Yes. All these like you wouldn't believe what women have to do to try and get out the door in the morning and uh, and this looks great and it's smart and just doesn't cause me any hassle it's fantastic it's fetching may I say it really <laughs> really is and, uh, I, I loved I, I really loved what you had to say about it as well anyway let's talk about uh, something else entirely it's nice to start on a light note but look at Sarah mm. I wanted to ask you this and I hear so many people saying it with what's going on in the Middle East and in Ukraine and in Africa and, uh, you know, all over the place, the strife in America, following on from Brexit and the Trump era, and he may be coming back, etc. Is the world at a point of absolute imminent danger, worse than ever in our lifetimes? It's hard to say. I mean, obviously, we're in a position where we know a lot more about the world. Mm. You know, and and obviously we're nowhere near anything like World War One or Two. 
Um, but I would say, you know, the long peace, as it was known, has certainly ended. And I think what feels most dangerous about what's happening now is that uh, liberal democracy is being threatened. And as you say, you quote America, and uh, perhaps not so much England, but certainly in America, the idea that uh, liberal democracy is the best form of government and the sense that once a country had a liberal democracy for, I think, 10 or 15 years, that's it, they would never go back. Mm. Um, but we do see this rise of populism and the the collapse, really, the impotence of the UN you know, that because yes. you've got China and Russia on the UN, that it feels particularly powerless to try and impose any kind of order. So once you have no order, then you have chaos. And mm. that's what we're watching now. Is, is, uh, and it's the chaos that feels the most dangerous and that uh, this kind of international anarchy and that anything can happen. And uh, so I think that's what's very particularly unsettling yes. about where we are right now. And, and as you say, the coverage today because of the way the world has moved in terms of connectivity and instant news, we are now seeing coverage from the heart of wars, i.e., you know, Ukraine and the Middle East especially. But when you see those images, starting with what Hamas did uh, in early October, unbelievable brutality. Uh, un, 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 just You just have to condo- uh, condemn it out of hand altogether. And now we see uh, the Israelis going in to Gaza. And what is it? Over 10,000 people, innocent yeah. people, have lost their lives. Is there any way this can be stopped? You know, I've always been so obsessed by war, like that it's a real evil. Fine, you can have famines and earthquakes, mm. you know, and storms. Uh, but war is is so evil because it is one human being doing this to to another. What's so particularly sad about what's going on in the Middle East is that it's exactly what Hamas wanted. You know, they inflicted that savagery on Israel yes. uh, precisely in order to provoke this response because they knew the effect it would have on them. And um, and I do a lot of work around Holocaust memorial and anti-Semitism. I'm thinking I'll try and write a piece about that this Saturday. And, you know, the rise of anti-Semitism in recent years has really, really been shocking. And in Israel itself, you know, the, you know, not most Jews, I would say, you know, have never condoned what's gone on in Israel with the particularly right-wing government that they have there, the settlers, all of that. And and Israel, up until the Hamas attack, there was a big opposition to the policies of the Israeli government. And that's the other side effect now of how Hamas, what Hamas has done is they've consolidated yeah. the Israeli people who were divided over these policies, you know. Mm. So, um, look, all we can do, I think, in our bit is personally, I've donated to Medicine Sans Frontieres. You know, that's all I can do. Mm. And I think we need to urge our government to try and act as good faith actors in the region. You know, we do have some influence there because of our, say, more traditional alliance, we'd say, with the Palestinian cause. I was a bit concerned about Leo Varadkar's mark uh, about revenge um, uh, last week. While it's an accurate description of what's happened, I think if we want to use our influence, I think we have to, our leaders have to be, you know, maybe tread the line a little bit. Mm. But, um, you know, we know about the Irish presence in those UN forces in Lebanon. You know, we're genuinely peacekeeping there for so many years. And it would be nice if we could trade on that history 
and see if we could persuade some kind of de-escalation to go on. Obviously, we're small players. It's really more about what Joe Biden and what China will do next. Mm. Um, But I think there is all the other actors, so like China and America, what they are trying now to do is prevent escalation because this could still get a whole lot worse. Mm. You know, this could not end with Mm. Israel bombing Gaza. This could um, uh, explode into Iran and a whole region-wide war, which would be an awful lot worse. But I think most people really don't want that to happen. So do you, hopefully do you think we have the the influence you mentioned there and like our president has spoken and some people are not happy with that. Others really like when Michael D speaks because he's a man that generally doesn't hold back on words. You're right about Leo mm-hmm. there. Michal Martin has made remarks as well. And, you know, yeah. they've condemned out of hand Hamas, but they also yeah. are saying, you know, what's happening on the other side, they're not happy with. Are we listening to it? Do we have an influence at all in the world? Jerry, I think using that word, you know, like prevent may have covered any chance we have to be listened to by the Israelis, but we do have history with the act states. And Michael or Michael Martin is heavily engaged, um, you know, with those other countries. And there may be a role for us there um, to uh, encourage de escalation. Now, that may be overstepping it, but I would certainly say we have an obligation to try. Mm. You know, I don't think we have the right to say, uh, well, sure, it's not our game. Yes, it is. I think where we definitely made a difference was um, in the EU policy, because you remember Ursula von der Leyen, yes. like, she totally overreached in her role and went straight off to Israel and embraced Netanyahu, you know, when he's he's on the way out. You know, like he's the guy that many Israelis hold responsible for this. Mm. and uh, for a number of different reasons. So that EU policy then was shifted, and the EU, you know, did roll back on that and was very clear that, to make clear to Israel, that crimes um, against humanity uh, would not be tolerated. So I think we definitely were part of that uh, movement. So I think we just have to keep trying. But that does mean why people like our president, like Greg T. Don't have the luxury of being as emotional. We're just losing you there, Sarah. Well, you're just breaking oh. up slightly on me. Maybe you might oh, just shift. Sorry. No, you're all right. You're all right. Well, you yeah. were fine. You just went yeah, a little. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have you there. Go on. Pick that up there. What yeah. you're saying. Yeah. So I was making the point that the president and the Taoiseach don't have the luxury that we do of using emotive language, even if we think it's true. And if they want to be honest brokers and have any influence, then they do need to be very careful about the words that they use. They have to condemn everything, obviously. But uh, there are words that are helpful and unhelpful. And if we want to help, Sarah, I'm going to leave it there for the day. You're just on the little wobble. We got it up to there. But listen, don't worry at all. This is what happens at times. I understand. We got the gist of it. You've uh, covered off what I wanted you today. And I'd like to say to people that, you know, it is horrific and we can only do what we can do by donating and keeping it uh, alive through our political uh, classes as well on the international stage. And that's that's about the height of it. And pray for the people who are suffering on both sides in this awful, awful conflict. Sarah, until the next time, thank you so much for joining me on the show. 
Okay, thank you, Jerry. God bye. bless you. Bye. Take care. Bye bye. That's uh, Sarah Gary there, uh, journalist and broadcaster and wonderful lady with the uh, Irish uh, Independent, Independent newspapers, having uh, giving us her opinion on uh, you know what's happening in the world. It is horrendous. It's hard to, you know, it's hard to pick up your day and go to work and then go home and watch what we see on the TV screens and that shock. I say it again. I just wish and hope and pray it stops and stops soon and. We're only here for a short time and as I said before, two wrongs never make a right and oh, it's just one of those things that if you thought about it deeply and that it would really get to you. But what can we do in our own lives? Donate, help in any way we can, get on with our own lives in this neck of the woods and do the best we can for your family and yourself and your friends and neighbours. That's about it. Time for one of our regulars on Late Lunch. Delighted to welcome her back in focus this month with Dr. Kate McCann is Men's Health. Afternoon, Kate. Afternoon, Jerry. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, Kate, you're having me on here. Married men live longer than unmarried men. They do. And I, I really got to thinking about this um, when um, one of my patients was was telling me how how... He's been doing so well because his wife, you know, drags him to all his appointments. And, um, you know, it's a statistic that we know that uh, that men who are married on average um, live at least two years longer. And in other studies uh, from the American Association of Cardiology, they found that men with heart disease did better, you know, if they were married. Um, and one of the, the key factors was is that it was, seems to be a bit of the nagging, the, the wife telling him to go get that check to keep appointments, um, those health behaviours. You see, I'm being a little facetious. I thought poor men who are married would be nagged to death. But, you know, that's a different story altogether. I know what you're saying. The ladies or partners in their lives are good at getting them up and going to see their GP or if there's something up. I think we should start from there because that is a fundamental flaw in a lot of men, isn't it? That they don't, you know, pay attention to their health. Yeah, it's it's really, you know, I think a lot of times you hear the analogy of telling men to get the NCT, and that's a really good analogy of that, you know, when a car gets to a certain age, we have to take it in for the NCT every year. And when, when humans get to a certain age, likewise, we need that NCT every year. And so, especially for men, I think it's, it's good at younger ages, but I think a really, really line in the sign end for most of my the patients I see, I would say, look, if you're a gentleman at the age of 50 and you haven't seen your GP in a year or in some cases you have no idea who your GP is, then it's a good idea to make an appointment and, and get the NCT done. You know, check those, check, get those, get those, those risk factors checked. Oh, for sure. And uh, I, I know you see it in your practice. You do see far more uh, women than men. And, and that really does show what we're talking about here today is a fact. Now, we're in Movember, which is a, a very good campaign that happens at this time every year. International Men, International Men's Days coming up and there's focus on obesity this month as well. But would you run through, you know, some of the stats that really bring it home, starting with life expectancy for men? Yeah, so in average in Ireland, we expect um, men to live four years less than women. And um, we also know that among suicides, three out of four uh, people who uh, um, who um, die by suicide every year, they're men rather than women. And, um, you know, and we know that men are more likely to have heart disease. We know they're more likely to have obesity. They're more likely to have diabetes. And... Um, 
We also know that men are far more likely to engage in risky behavior such as binge drinking. Um, and we know that men have a far higher rate of injury and fatality in workplace accidents. And two big areas for men as well. I want to bring up with your prostate cancer. And this is a simple test, as you were saying there, about going and getting checked, isn't it? It's a simple test. But what is it? What About two, uh, three, almost 4,000 men, should I say, are diagnosed with prostate cancer in Ireland each year. About that, yeah. So basically, it's a very, it's one of the commonest um, cancers in men. It's one of the most, and for many men, it can, it can be relatively uh, is relatively effective treatment available it's about one in seven men will be diagnosed with, with prostate cancer in their lifetime and um, and yeah there's there's there and for men who who have any symptoms obviously make an appointment urgently with your gp but if you don't have symptoms many gps will screen um, with either physical exam or, or a blood test and both things that can be done in your gp surgery and testicular cancer, this is now in the younger bracket, under 45. There are roughly 200 cases there each year. So you've got to check if there's anything wrong there. Similar with women and breast cancer, lumps in the breast, lumps in the testicles. You need to examine. Yeah, so usually the advice uh, the to, to younger men, so we talk about younger, we mean under 45. So everyone's definition of younger <laughs> differs, but yes. under the age of 45, we usually tell men, you know, to, to, to just do a quick exam there's a quick feel in the shower once a month and if there's something new head into your GP yeah, that, that is such important advice. It really, really is on those two issues of uh, prostate and testicular. Now, so you're with us here. You're after running through uh, the downside of things. And, you know, those uh, numbers and that information about heart disease and obesity and all that is damning for sure. So would you take us through now a number of ways that us boys can make things better for ourselves, look after our health better? Yeah, so the, the big thing is, is again, the G, I would say again, the GP, like if you haven't been into your GP in a year and you're over 50, and the real, a couple of numbers that we really want people to know, just everybody, but we'll talk about men, is what's your blood pressure? What's your cholesterol? What's your blood sugar? This can tell us a lot about your risk of heart disease and stroke uh, and diabetes. Um, the next thing I'd say to patients is to really work out how much you're drinking. And we know statistically that very few people in Ireland really understand how much alcohol they are consuming. Um, now, I, I always like to plug the drinkaware.ie has a great calculator. It's really easy to use. Um, and this is going to work out how much drinks. Is, you know, we think of a pint in many cases, depending on what you're drinking, a pint is really two units of alcohol. Um, and we know that a binge drink is six units or more of alcohol. You know, once you've gone past three pints, and many people would on the evening, mm. you're technically into a binge drink. And and I think getting an idea, a real handle on how much people are actually drinking is, is really, really helpful to calculate that out. Um, that's one of the most important things I work out with my patients a lot. And I look at the stats there, 17 standard uh, drinks spread out over a week. So that's really maximum, you know, eight, nine points over a whole week with some breaks, you're, a number of days you're not drinking at all. It's not a whole lot, I'd say, in the context of what us guys consume in Ireland. No, we do. I think I think everyone in Ireland would accept that we do have an unhealthy relationship with alcohol in many aspects. Um, and knowing exactly how much we're consuming and where our risk lies is, is, is one key step to informing our behavior and making healthier choices.
Mm, and we need to be honest. You know, we sort of uh, twist the truth a bit about it. But uh, drinkaware.ie, if you go on there, as uh, Kate says, there's a very good resource there. And if you're honest with it, you'll know where you stand. What about exercise? How much exercise uh, should we be taking? So the, the, we know we're talking about heart disease um, and many other things. So we usually, I usually tell my patients we want to aim for about 150 minutes a week. Mm. Um, and you can break that up any way you like. A lot of my patients here do 30 minutes five times a day. Not at all. You know, you, just 150 minutes in the week, it should be something you enjoy, and it doesn't have to be sweating and gasping. It can be moderate intensity. So taking a nice walk with your with uh, with the earphones on, listening to a podcast, that counts. You know, it doesn't have to be something you, you hate or going to the gym if you don't like it. We just want you moving about two and a half hours in total over the whole week. Yeah, that's not a lot, really. And 5.30 sounds lovely. If you want to do 3.50s, as long as you get uh, the 150, as Kate says there. But we need to get up and get moving. Now, the other thing is, and we saw it during COVID in particular, uh, we weren't able to socialise. How important is being sociable and getting social? Now, not forget about the alcohol on other aspects of life. Being social is absolutely critical. And yeah, I think we got a lot of light shed on that during lockdown. And I know you and I, Jerry, have talked about this on here before a couple of times, is that and especially as we age and, you know, our social circles tend to shrink. Mm. And, and the more we are alone, it has huge impacts on our health, and especially for mental health as well as physical health. So um, if, you're, if, you're, if your social circle is shrinking, as a man through any number of, of life reasons, then it's really important that we take some steps to try and expand the social circle. It can be difficult. It can be joining, it can be joining a sporting club. It could be hanging out down at the local men's shed. Um, it could be volunteering as something that you're passionate about, whether it's a charity or a church. But getting more social is a really good way to look after your health. Red meat, I see you've spoken about too. No more than three portions per week. What are you talking about a portion? Portion. So, um, you know, I see some patients and they, uh, you know, the amount of meat they eat is, is, is a lot more than we need. Protein and meat is a fantastic source of protein, but highly processed meats such as deli meats, which are processed with a lot of salt and sugar, aren't necessarily the healthiest source of protein. And we know that red meat, excessive intake of red meat is a risk factor for both heart disease and cancers. Mm. So um, the current recommendations are that we just keep that the three times a week. You know, if you really love your beef, you really love your lamb, we just want to keep that about three times a week. Okay, pretty uh, definite there. And uh, I suppose finally, you're a mum yourself and there are many mammies listening to us today. You want to make an appeal to the mothers of the Northeast. I, mothers everywhere. I think mothers of boys have a real role here to change these statistics. In, in that you're raising your son to have a really good relationship and being able to talk about things that might be uncomfortable, teaching them that it's okay to talk about things that might be embarrassing, and you know, teaching them that, look, your doc has heard it all and worse. Whatever you're bringing, your doctor's heard it. Being able to have that good relationship or ask for help when you need it um, and, to, and, to, and to teach good, healthy behaviors um, through childhood and adolescence so that, you know, as, as men age, it's part of as part of their healthy habits going forward to check in with the GP, to know what their numbers are, to have a healthy relationship with food and alcohol. So, um, you know, the, the men of tomorrow are, are little boys today and their health habits are learned now. 
You never said a truer word. Uh, fascinating, interesting, sound advice and the way forward for sure. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Any walks in this locality, no? No, I'm in Donegal this weekend. <laughs> well, enjoy in the wilds of Donegal. You'll be back this neck of the woods for sure sometime. But check Kate out, Dr. Kate McCann. MDOC, that's E-M-D-O-C dot I-E, a wonderful resource. Till next month, thank you so much, Kate. Thanks so much, Sherry. Take care, Kate McCann there, our doc on your late lunch. It's time for our Two on Tuesday. Two on Tuesday. Playing the songs that just never quite made it to number one. But we were so close. I'd be number, number one. one. We were so close. Two on Tuesday. Today's Two on Tuesday was originally recorded by James Ray back in 1962 when Beatle George Harrison heard the song. It remained dormant in his mind, obviously, for 25 years until 1987 when he recorded his version of this. He released it on the 24th of October. It went to number two in the UK charts on the 15th of the 11th and it stayed at number two for four weeks. It just couldn't make it. I absolutely love it. Yes, at two on Tuesday, this Tuesday, is Mr George Harrison and Got My Mind Set On You. That's a tune. That is a tune, folks. That'll get you going no matter where you are. If you're out for a night out of that, you'll be up bopping on the floor. And when my good friend, Miss Cecilia Quine, is happy with a song, well, I'm very happy too. I wonder what she thinks of the number one. Well, this song was a massive hit back then too in 1987 because, you see, it lodged at number one for five weeks and that's why poor George couldn't make it up to the top spot anyway what do you think the jury is all set Miss Louise Walsh is back today let's have a listen to the song that prevented Mr Harrison making it to number one it's Tapao and China in your hand it was the theme she had on the scheme he had told in a foreign China in her hand. All these years later, she's some woman, Carol Decker, I can tell you. Yeah, the sounds of the 80s. The number one that kept poor George Harrison off the uh, off top spot. Number two was two on Tuesday was George Harrison. Got my mind set on you. Louise, what's your verdict? I'm really torn this week. I have to say, I am torn. Um, like George Harrison, no China in your hand, I'm going with. It's the one that I would absolutely bellow out of the car. <laughs> we got to record that someday and play it here on Nathan's <laughs> for you, the listeners, so we get play a feel Halloween for that. I'm, just trying, I'm trying to imagine. No, Louise Walsh can sing and I know that. <laughs> Don't let her call you. She has a lovely voice. Anyway, I'm going with George Harrison so it's a split decision today. Yeah, it's a split yeah. decision. I'm mm, going with George. You just don't like, you don't like I, you know, no, no, I do. And I think okay. another we, yeah. we played this before and it was not on two and Tuesday, but different aspect and I did like it. Mm. But and I might I, I might I might leave the last word to my good friend Cecilia, who's just after pinging in on my phone okay. and saying, Love them, both of them. She loves both of them, loves yeah. the eighties music. But that's not a patch on George, she says. Uh. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, it's all in the personal taste, isn't it? Anyway, yeah. that's our two on Tuesday for this Tuesday. She's we'll do got it her mindset on George. <laughs> she has. Cecilia with our mindset on George. I like that. There's a lovely ring to that for sure. Anyway, up next on the show, I just adore her. She is the doyen of the kitchen. Doreen Allen is with me next. You see, my next guest, I have all of her books and they're really Bibles in my kitchen. Uh, she needs no introduction. She's the co-founder of Ballymaloo Cookery School and she's back with a brand new book. Doreena Allen, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jerry. You're in fine fettle this afternoon. I am, especially <laughs> when I'm talking to you and in the context of, oh, listen, this book is just gorgeous. The new Ballymaloo bread book, 20 years on from the original in 2001. Darina, what's changed in 20 years fundamentally? <laughs> well, <laughs> Lots, I know. Quite a lot. Yeah. I mean, we've added a ton more recipes to our repertoire and, you know, uh, all sorts of people have contributed to it. Uh, uh, you know, students and, and teachers. And I, when I've travelled all around the world, I've been lucky to travel a bit. And of course, everywhere I go, because food is my subject, when I taste something delicious and lovely, I always ask for the recipe. The worst that can happen is they say no. Mm. And, you know, I've been really lucky to be people bring me into their kitchens in all sorts, from India to Morocco and so on, show me how to do different flatbreads and so on. So anyway, so there's a lot of fun things apart from soda bread and yeast bread and, and sourdough bread in this uh, this new book. Yeah. Uh, there certainly is. And soda bread really is the Irish staple, isn't it? Now, I'm not a big fan of the soda bread. Now, I don't mean oh, to take well, away from it, but it's adored, isn't it, in the country? Oh, well, I'll make you a loaf of soda oh. bread now that you bring that you when you back over. <laughs> what, an offer. what an offer! What an offer on Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Oh my gosh, I'm adopting a puppy right now, but I realize what's at home. Oh, no, I have nothing. Well, except unconditional love. But, yeah, no crate, no pee-pee pads, no dental chews for his little puppy teeth. Before I doubt myself as a new parent, I just get Instacart to deliver everything from PetSmart. Easy, just like raising a puppy is going to be, right? Get pet essentials from PetSmart with Instacart. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum per order. Additional terms apply. Eat lunch today's. Oh, well, there you are. And, and but, uh, but soda bread is a, I mean, there are loads of people, Jerry, you know yourself, that actually are convinced they can't make a loaf of bread. Mm. And honestly, 
I, what I always love to start them off on soda bread, and I'm not talking about the modern soda bread now, the one that's in a tin. I'm talking about, you know, where you make it in a round loaf and cut across, the, do the traditional blessing, and then yes. you have to prick it in the four corners to let the fairies out of the bread so they don't drink your bread. And then, <laughs> and I learned how to make that literally when I was a little toddler, more or less, from my mother. She made bread every single day. There were nine of us, so there was a lot of, of hungry mouths. And I just, I was only, I suppose, about tall enough to see up over the edge of the table and she'd give me a little bit of the dough and I'd farm that into a little round and then I'd put it in beside her loaf in the oven and everybody would say it would be delicious but of course it would be as hard as a rock for me overhandling it. <laughs> but anyway that's where, how I learned how to make uh, soda bread and it's made in minutes. You, you know, you wouldn't yeah. have if you make it into a scone and you can do all sorts of riffs on it, you know, you could dip the top into cheddar cheese or whatever you like well it'll, they'll be out of the oven in 10 minutes and yeah. a loaf of bread will be out in 35 minutes you wouldn't have found your car keys <laughs> and be back from the from the back to the supermarket by the time to be out of the oven yes. and, and uh, yeah and everybody you know I mean everybody loves I've been making bread all of my adult life and most of my childhood yeah. and honest to goodness every time I ta- take a loaf of bread out of the oven which is regularly I still get a whoops in my tummy mm. you know there's something kind of almost primeval about making yes. Uh, bread, but yes. then you can go on to the others, the yeast breads and soda breads and so on. A lot of people are. How about you with yeast, Cherry? Are you on for making a yeast bread or not? Yeah, well, look, I was going to come on to that because I, I want to ask you in particular about sourdough because I love sourdough. Now, yes. the perception is that it's complicated, it's time-consuming. If you're busy in your life, you're you're, you're gotched. You won't be able to make this because of the starter and all that involved. What do yeah. you say to that? Yeah. <laughs> well, do you know something? Now, first of all, you have to remember people are making sourdough since the dot. Yeah. Uh, long before there was any kind of even cookers, not to speak mm. of. Uh, so basically, you can get, you can get it. Of course, you make a starter because that's what, and that's as simple as literally mixing flour and water together and leaving it until it ferments, until it bubbles up, yeah. and then uh, uh, and then you go on. It's like a child. You have to look on the sourdough starter like a child. Mm. You have to feed it, <laughs> uh, otherwise it'll be hungry, and otherwise it'll pass out on you. Uh, so basically, uh, it's literally it's as simple as that, and then. Um, you can fit, you can get it to fit into your uh, into your lifestyle, into your timetable. I mean, there's a very good recipe in that book, which actually my brother Richard O'Connell gave me, and it's called Saturday Morning Sourdough. And he, when he had a nine to five job, you know, used to just he made a starter and he'd feed it on a uh, he'd feed it he'd feed it he start he started started then on Thursday he'd give it another feed with some flour and water. And Friday morning, he'd make a loaf of sourdough, put it in the fridge, leave it overnight, and then he'd bake it on on uh, Saturday morning. Mm. And, you know, he got that to fit into his uh, into his week. So yes. there's, you can, uh, some people make it every day, and then that, that may not work for a lot of people. So you could make it twice a week or three times a week. And if you're going away on holidays, you can freeze it or you can dry it. So it's much more good humour than people think. Uh, but definitely, uh, it's it's it can take a figari, that's for sure, uh, because sometimes the weather affects it, or even your mood or something. That's all in the way of the fun of it and the you know the, uh, uh, and and the, and, the, and the challenge of it and the, and the joy of it. Then mm. when every now and then it's an absolutely fantastic so and occasionally then it'll be a bit flatter, but it'll always be delicious. And the other thing that people, of course, discovered uh, during the pandemic as well is there's a lot of people who are gluten intolerant now and my god how many people are gluten intolerant because the ordinary bread just gets worse and worse and worse 
And basically, when you eat a piece of proper, real, natural sourdough, uh, now not if you're celiac. If you're celiac, you can't eat anything with gluten. But mm. a lot of the people who are gluten intolerant, they eat a, 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 a real sourdough, uh, a natural sourdough, and they have no problem. They can enjoy it and they have no ill effects. So go down to the village and they, oh, sorry, you can tell I'm a country girl. Uh, they go down to the village and they buy a squishy sliced pan and the next thing they're all bloated and out in lumps and bumps and all the rest of it. So it's not the bread, it's what happens to it. So, uh, but anyway, that, that's, uh, uh, so it's well worth having a go at that. But then if you're, if people are frightened of yeast, and I know a lot of people tell me they're frightened of yeast, yeah. and you can, because it's a living thing, and yes. they think, oh my God, a yeast bread, all that kneading and all those risings and everything. But uh, the, in, when I came to Balmaloo, now I'd never made a yeast bread until I, I suppose I did at hotel school, but uh, mommy didn't make yeast bread. But when I came down to Balmaloo uh, in the late 60s, and Myrtle, my, who was uh, subsequently my mother-in-law, Myrtle Allen, showed me how to make a loaf of brown, the Balmaloo brown yeast bread. And that is fantastic. Mm. There's only one, uh, you mix it uh, and you pour, pour, put it into the tin and then you let it rise to the top of the tin and you put it into the oven. So there's no kneading involved at all and only one rising. And it's absolutely a delicious, super nutritious uh, bread uh, that you can eat, of course, on the day or it's lovely toasted for several days. Yes. So, But just one word on sourdough. A lot of the sourdough that you buy is actually what I call full sourdough. It's not proper sourdough. So you have to make sure if you're not paying, sounds a lot, but if you're not paying 6 or 6.50 for a loaf of sourdough, it can't be proper sourdough. Uh, and then it won't have the health benefits and, the, you know, it won't yeah. be as digestible as real sourdough. So mm. that's, yeah, but then there's loads of flatbreads in this. And, you know, there's a fantastic gluten-free chapter as well. There is, there is, and it's it's wonderful. Oh, yeah, absolutely wonderful. But but I I hear the point you're making. Make your own bread, and there are huge health benefits. I want to ask you about scones for a minute, because I'm very partial to a scone, I have to say to you. But you know, again, if you buy them in the shops at times, they're like powder. They have no texture to them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, look, go on, go through that book now and find Mummy's Sweet Scones. This is my mother's recipe for scones that she used to make every couple of days. And when we came home from school, we'd smell them as we were running up to the kitchen door. And that, it's a fantastic recipe. And uh, she used to brush the top of them with egg wash and then dip them in crunchy sugar, uh, you know, and they'd have a yeah. lovely crunchy top. Uh, but that's a really, really good recipe. And then you have to then, once you've done those, you've got to then try the the orange scone. So what I do is, is I flatten out the scone dough and you mustn't knead it or anything, otherwise you'll make it heavy. Uh, and uh, then I, I, I slather it with an orange-flavoured butter, you know, butter with some cast sugar and grated orange zest and slather it. And then I roll it up like into a little twist roll and cut it into uh, into pieces and then brush the top again with uh, egg wash and uh, dip it in sugar and then cook them. Oh, my God, Jerry, they're <laughs> delicious. I'm absolutely, I'm salivating here. Everybody will be delighted with you. (laughs) I (laughs) really am. Did somebody tell me that you have a bread machine hidden in the back of your cupboard? Did somebody tell me that now? (laughs) I have, Doreen, I'm ashamed (laughs) to say. But listen, I have to tell you, 
it's 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 only been used once. So you know, if anyone's out there looking for one, only once used bread maker. After getting this raffle, book, raffle. after getting this book, I think I'm going to dispose of it because I definitely have the ammunition here. Brenda, uh, Louise slags me incessantly, my producer, about this. Whenever she wants to get a a, 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 a little knock at me on the air, she says, "Well, what about that bread maker you have there?" Anyway, oh, it's an almost God. mint condition. But look, what basically what you're saying? There's no need for a bread maker. There's no need for a bread maker. Honestly, it's not. It's science, but it's definitely not rocket science. So anybody, honestly, can make a loaf, particularly start on the soda beds. Anybody can do that. Uh, could do that, and you'll get such a buzz out of it. And you know, it's one of the easiest way to win friends and influence people, isn't it? It is. If you, even if you have posh friends coming around for for supper or something, and you do all your star turns, but if you take a little fresh bread out of the oven, they all remark on on the bread as well. Yes, so, uh, yes. Yeah. And, and you know, no while, while we're yeah. on scones... It's a wonderful skill to have. Oh, have, listen, yeah. it's... Yeah. And, you know, and, and look, the, the book is updated 20 years on and you can see there's so much in it and you'd pick out of this what you wish. But look, this yeah. will set you on the road. But I just want to mention somebody while we're talking about scones. Um, there's a little artisan bakery near where I live in Drogheda called Buns Bakery. Buns Bakery. Uh, it's Buns, quite yeah. recent. And they make all their own stuff. They're in there, they crack it on and they make the scones and they're lovely they're not powdery they're just beautiful oh. and I want to mention oh. them today because they're great yeah. they're great people oh, so they perfect. are um, and again scones are a bit like white soda bread you can do a million different riffs on this and add all kinds of different things to it various different kinds of toppings all the rest of it and you know I just mentioned those orange scones there but instead of the orange butter uh, over it and then roll it up you could make put chocolate spread and toasted hazelnuts you know so mm. once you can make scones you can do so many different variations once you can make so the rest you can do many, so many variations and rye breads and things. So where would you where would you get so much fun? You know, <laughs> yeah, you, where would you get you in your own kitchen? <laughs> and I know my 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 own wife is a, a a great baker and she bakes cakes and she does bread and that as well. And she's teaching the grandchildren now and they oh. love it, Irina. They love well, to be involved. Super important. I'm yes. always I'm going on and on, writing to the minister for education, everything, and just saying, for goodness sake, we simply have to embed practical cooking in, in the national curriculum. What yes. are we like letting our kids and grandkids out of our houses and out of our schools without giving them the basic skills to feed themselves? Would everybody take up a pen and write to the minister and get something done about it? Come on, yeah. come on. Are you listening to Doreen Allen today? Let's get this <laughs> campaign going. Write to the minister. And, and you know, you are so right because I remember when I got married, you see, I came from a house where there was a boy and a girl and my mother doted over us and should the boys, the, the boy did nothing. She did everything for me. But when I got married, Doreena, when I got yes. married, a woman said to me, you better stay start paddling your own canoe and I learned then necessity the mother of invention you see but uh, it it, it should happen in school you are so right it should be happening in school teach children how to feed themselves and what's good uh, about good food absolutely because all the emphasis really on the STEM subjects and they're fantastic but you can't eat a flip of maths book you know and uh, if you can cook you can keep yourself uh, healthy and all the rest of it and my mother uh, as I said, a feisty mother of nine. We were brought up with our, your, our food should be our medicine. Mm. She always knew that she used to say, if you don't put the effort and the thing into the food on the table, you'll give it to the doctor or the chemist. And we know they're, you know, we know they're busy enough now without uh, yeah. that. So, you know, mm. it's, it's no, there's no harm to remember 
that our food can be the, is the thing that will keep us healthy and, and all the rest of please goodness yeah and yeah. I, I by extension in the book you do a lovely section on leftover bread and essential extras oh my god I just see uh, here I should have looked it up last night basil pesto I made my last bit of basil pesto last night my basil is nearly out at this stage there's nothing yeah. to beat it is there basil pesto oh nothing to no. beat it and then I'll tell you what now there's another there's a bread and butter pudding in there and you have to make that and if it's not the best bread and butter pudding you ever had <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give you another. <laughs> you can ask for your money back. <laughs> Do you know what? I'm putting on weight here talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> and you can make a savoury bread and butter pudding as well. A whole lot. Because honestly, bread was in every culture, bread was looked on as sacred. Yes. Yes. And, you know, one doesn't want to waste a, a scrap of it. And then, of course, you can make lovely breadcrumbs for the Christmas stuffing for the turkey and all the rest of it as well. Anyway, there you are. <laughs> you know and something. And, ro- and a bit of jam. There's a few jam. Oh, there is. There is for sure. Lemon curd. Oh, yeah. yeah. And everything is in there as well. Listen, you've done it again. It's simply wonderful. The new <laughs> Ballymaloo bread book. Doreen Allen. Get it. Have it. Put it into your kitchen and work it through. And I'll never forget today because you know what? Doreen Allen has promised me at some stage she's making me a soda bread. Ah, oh, <laughs> Yes, joy. and I I want, I want you to send me a photograph of your bread now, Julie. Okay, well, I promise. I will. I'll have a go. I okay. will. I promise you will. And I'll send you the photographs as well. Always okay. a joy to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining me. Lovely to talk to you, Jay. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Same to you. That's the wonderful Doreen Allen there. I adore that woman. She's one of my heroes when it comes. And I, I love cooking myself. I do. And I have to give this bacon a better go. And not using the bread maker. One bread maker for sale the best offer. Wasn't Doreen in great form? She was just really top of the pops today. See, everybody wasn't? knows about you and the bread maker. <laughs> it seems they do. <laughs> World travels fast. I have an admission to make. D- did you ever bake yourself? Have you ever? <laughs> no, please. Uh, no. Why are you laughing? No. Oh, I did. I tried scones once. And? Yeah, they're flat as a pancake. They're supposed to rise. Yeah, they are, yeah. Did you put bicarbonate and soda in? I did them? everything. I followed the instructions to the letter or the recipe even. And uh, yeah, flat. You, they were like, you know, the little discs. <laughs> coasters. I used them as coasters. No, 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 you were making biscuits. Very well done. Very well done. You made biscuits. You just didn't realise <laughs> that you were making biscuits. God help you. I, I don't know what I know. we're going to do with you. We've got to send you to Ballymaloo or something. I love her idea of cooking in primary school. I mm, think it's I would have benefited me oh, a lot. Oh, for sure. For sure. It's a must. Might have burned down the school, but I would have benefited yeah, a lot. Write to the Minister of Education, Norma, <laughs> Norma Foley, care of Doll Erin, and tell her we want this in the schools. We want to teach children how to cook and how to bake, especially. Um, do you know what I found in the book she was gone when I thought of it there's a recipe called Spotted Dog it's on page 38 okay and let me tell you I made this did you I made this bread and it does work but let me just it's very simple Spotted Dog bread Spotted Dog listen to the the ingredients 450 grams of plain flour Mm -hmm. a level teaspoon of bicarbonate of soda to make it rise 110 Mm -hmm. grams of plump sultanas I like sultanas a dessert spoon of caster sugar a level teaspoon of salt one egg and 350 mils of buttermilk mix it all together fire it in the oven and I can tell you 
It's a beautiful bread. It's simple. That spotted mm. dog is very simple to make. So I'm definitely going to do that the weekend. Shh, don't tell her that I made it once before. I did. I'm going <laughs> to give it a go. And I'm not using that I bread maker. I have to take loads of pictures and send it down to I her. am. I'm going to send it to her. I really am going to send it to her. But that's the book. Honestly, her books are just produced. They're just magnificent. You know, they're works of art, her books as well. But the information within them, the recipes... Oh, Lord Almighty. But you heard her saying there, you know, and you find it yourself. You know, bread, there's lots of different breads. Yeah. But you heard her about the sourdough. It's not true. Sourdough, she says a lot of it. And breads that contain little in them in the way of goodness and that as well. Now, there is, and there are many elements of, of very good breads out there. But there's a lot that are not. And it's just, it fills you. But what does it do for you? You know what I mean? Anyway, Louise. Well done on the biscuit front. Thanks very much. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm going to actually change that if anybody does ask. I make a mean scone biscuit. <laughs> She's invented something new on late lunch today. <laughs> Coming up after three on the show. Yes, we hear more from Travella, the new owners of Drahadi United. And we have our top five countdown. Taking us up to news, weather and sport at three. It's Mr Niall Horn. Strange falls around you. Going along to that special screening of the Marvels in the Ark Cinema Drahad on Wednesday week, the 15th of November, 6.20. It's on the screen. 13 plus is the age uh, criteria there. Today, I'm sending four tickets to the Rice family. Breen on and the crew there. You have four tickets. Luke McGahan and Linda Hughes has three tickets a piece for each of you to bring some people along there. It'll be a great night at the Ark Cinema. I promise you more tickets on late lunch coming your way for the Ark tomorrow, uh, Thursday and Friday. Now let's do this on late lunch. Five, four, three, two... One. Counting down the top five songs from this week of yesteryear. And today it's... The number four from this very week in 1981. And this song went no higher in the charts. This was its highest place. But it was also the band's final single to reach the top ten in the UK. It's by Squeeze, but not like their usual stuff, I have to say. I love this one and I was delighted when I saw it pop up in the top five. Yes, it's Squeeze at number four from this very week in 1981 with Labelled With Love. She unscrews the top of a new whiskey bottle and shuffles about in her some kind of witch with blue fingers and mittens she smells like the cat and the neighbors she sickens the past has been bottled unlabeled with love the past has been bottled unlabeled squeeze Yes, it is, Squeeze. Lovely song, that, isn't it? Label with Love, 1981, number four from this very week. And tomorrow you'll get your three, two on Thursday, and the big number one on Friday afternoon, round about this time on Late Lunch. Final break of the day on the way, and afterwards we reflect on a momentous decision taken by Drogheda United shareholders last night to entrust the football club to Travella. 
Toronto United shareholders gathered last evening and voted on a proposal to sell the club to Travella Group, a US sports investment firm headquartered in Birmingham, Alabama. And 90 to 1 was the vote at the end of the day. Absolute landslide in favour of the sale. Well, I was there last evening for this historic moment in the club's history and I spoke to Conor Hoy, former chairman and board member, Joanna Byrne, the current chairperson of the club. But first, I had a word with Wesley Hill, vice president of Travella Group, and put it to him that he must be very happy with the enormity of the vote in favour of the sale. It's phenomenal, yeah, and, and their dedication to the club for years and years has been really great, and we just hope to continue to build on kind of the future and the foundation they've built here, um, because obviously we're stewards of this club going forward. We're not we're not changing things overnight. We're building incrementally. We hope the support of the community considers us uh, the, the right appropriate party to kind of collaboratively build this together with them. You've been working on this really since last January, haven't you? Really, this has been a, a long process and a detailed process mm. and there's a lot of groundwork done. That's exactly right. Yeah, we, we're very prudent in both our due diligence and also our engagement with people. Uh, people come first for us, and so it was really important that we had trustworthy people in the building. And so we know there's things we can improve, but fundamentally we trust folks here, and we're excited to build it with them. What are your short-term goals? You were here at the match as well on Friday night, saw Drogheda play the final game of the season. You do understand, and Kevin Doherty mentioned it as well recently, he's been working off a small part-time budget in the league. What are your goals with the team for, say, next season? Yeah, it's a great question. I think fundamentally we want to retain the heart and soul of Drogheda United, and so they've been punching above their weight for years and years, and that can't change. And so we hope to continue to build on what Kevin's done, which is phenomenal, continue to look at creative players, bring in new interesting players, and so for us, uh, you know, again, our hope is to continue to build, keep the heart and soul of Drada United intact, but obviously compete on the playing field as well. I'm sure you saw on Friday night when the game finished, it was quite obvious when the team came back out, even though they've lost a match. The amount of youngsters and children and families that were on that football pitch. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Again, full community club. I mean... It was, it was actually, I got the shivers when I walked out on the field because to see the care that the families have and to see kids running around. I mean, my son plays soccer in the backyard all the time and I see it in the families as well. When you look beyond, say, the first team and what needs to be done here, we stand in a very old ground here that is obviously not fit for purpose and the club has tried on many occasions unsuccessfully to make the move away from here. What's Travella's view on that? Yeah, I mean, I think in the short term, we want to uh, make incremental improvements to the current grounds as we as we progress conversations with the council on on future lands. And so, yeah, for, for, for now, we plan to to be here for a bit. And then hopefully, as, as things go forward with the council, we can hope to build a new stadium in the future. Um, but again, we'll be very prudent in that process. The transaction has taken time and Connor Hoy has led the negotiations really ably abetted by Joanna Bourne, the chairperson as well, and the board of directors. What, what do you have to say to them tonight? Connor and I have talked almost every day for the past year, Joanna and I for the past six months, and so I just really enjoy them as people. I think they have the heart and care for this club going forward um, and genuinely a great working relationship with them. Um, like I said, they're friends, they're colleagues, they're both, and, and that's what matters to me. You own Walsall in England and you're really starting to move over there now after a period of time as well. Drogheda are next in your portfolio. Um, 
having the two clubs side by side, you know, close by as well, mm. what can supporters expect from that? Or will there be a, an arrangement there? It's a good question. I mean, I think the, the, the synergies and partnerships are obvious. I mean, there's players that we see moving from both locations at some point. We don't know exactly when that will be. Um, but we definitely really like the fact that we're geographically close. But also within the league, there's a lot of talent between the both. And so uh, for us, we'll, we'll see exactly how that plans out. Um, but there, there will be a lot of back office support from Trivella Group, kind of who works with both clubs. And so we hope to share things that we've learned at Walsall and things we can learn here that we can share at Walsall as well. So, so back and forth between the both, we hope, we hope for synergies to exist. But as far as plans, not sure exactly yet. You're going to be the main man on the ground here for the uh, immediate future. On the ground, that's a good that's a good point. I'm going to be back and forth quite a bit. I live in Austin, Texas at the moment, but my hope is to support from a capacity standpoint with the current organization um, and and sort of implement certain processes and operational expertise in, in certain regards, department by department. Um, will I be here every day? No, um, but I'll be on the phone a lot. We'll be on Zooms a lot. We'll be engaged a lot. And so, yeah, I just hope that, that they can use me as a resource um, to, to continue to push the club forward. And, you know, there will be growing pains. There will be changes that will be made. But fundamentally, as I said before, if we retain the heart and the soul of the, of, of the club, then we continue to build for the future. What finally convinced Travella to buy this football club and make the investment here and get involved? That's a great question. I mean, I think the the first convincing factor was we really trusted the people here. Um, And so we like what they're building. We think the League of Ireland is growing. Um, We think the quality and talent of players here is is fantastic. Um, And so really what started it was was really good friendship, really good trust. Um, And so the final thing that convinced us, I I don't really know. It was just the right it was the right thing for us. And so, um, yeah. What does it mean to Travella, the folks back home in the States, the word will be filtering through now to Ben and everybody else that this has happened. What does it mean to Travella? Yeah, I mean, it's huge for us. I mean, this is our second club and the portfolio as we're growing. And, and so, again, like the, for, for the club and for the members to trust us to take this forward, I mean, I think it shows if you look at our track record at Walsall, we have, we've, we've been very explicit that what we say out loud, we will do and we will not say more. And so for us, it's really important that, that they've trusted us and trusted us to go forward with this acquisition because, again, they've stewarded this club appropriately. But for Trivella Group, it means a lot. I mean, this is, this is great for us. Joanna Bourne, Chairperson, Drahada United Football Club. As Wes said to me a while ago, they have a measured approach to everything. They're going to do it in their particular way. It's going to take time. And I suppose supporters will want to hear for the first thing is, what about next season and Kevin and the team he'll have a few more Bob Joanna for sure will he ah <laughs> uh, look I'd imagine there'll be yes. a few more covers there for, for Kevin but that's that's probably one of the things that we, we really fell for with Travella it wasn't about throwing money just at the first team there's more a holistic approach to the infrastructure the solidity of the running of the club the professionalisation of the club and all of that sounded right to us because it's laying the foundations for a long term secure club and that's really and truly what we wanted yes we'd all love to go to Europe next year or the year after but hey ho let's hold out for a couple of years and then we'll go for the next 10 years in a row after that please God <laughs> I love your confidence anyway enjoy tonight well done to you and all you've uh, done to guide the club through this intricate process the new era for Drogheda United begins tonight thanks Jerry. thanks a million Connor High former chairman of Drogheda United board member and will continue to be board member in the new setup. how are you feeling after that vote this evening 
Well, slightly relieved, although I never really thought it was in doubt, but it's always nice to, I think it's the unanimous nature of the vote was great. 90 people in fa 90 members in favour, one against, you know, shows that we're doing the right thing and the people have bought into what we're doing, all the members have bought into it and uh, I think it's a great endorsement for Travella as well. Um, it's been a long process. I mentioned this to Wes inside there. Started back last January and uh, I have to say I was privileged to be invited along to meet Travella for the first time by you. Yeah, and uh, there was a, there's a lot more work even before we brought Travella into the picture. There's quite a few false dawns, Jerry, and uh, that was hard as well. And trying to find the right partner is the hardest bit. Finding a partner is easy. Finding the right partner is the hard bit. So I think we've done that. And, and, and I, you know, I, I think I can look myself in the mirror and think we've done the right thing for the club, for the future of the club. And I think all our forefathers and all the people who've worked for this club over the last 104 years uh, I, I'm satisfied in myself that we've done the right thing by them as well, you know, so uh, I think it's a bright new future for the club. I'm excited. I'm sure you are. I think all the supporters are. And let's just get on and build a new club. And that is a fact. You had many approaches. You could have shook hands with a number of interested parties. Yeah, we, we could have. And, uh, and there was a, you know, you, you have to question people you have to question the source of funding you know there was a number of people where I was thinking I, I didn't buy it you know I just didn't buy what they were telling me um, and it wasn't just about money though it was also about the people who would actually look after the club you know uh, you know it's very easy just to sell a business to somebody and you don't know what's going to happen with it I think the reassurances that we've all got from the people at Travella that they understand the community they understand the town of Drogheda they understand the history of the club the importance of the club to so many people if that was the most important thing and and that's what made them stand out, not the money. It's their their belief and their genuine uh, interest in the club. And I think that's why we, we've, we've, you know, we've chosen Travella. That's why they've chosen us. Day one of the new era in Drogheda United's history. Over 100 years in existence and forward they go under new guys. We wish them well and I'll be there to cheer them on all the way. Eddie Caffrey's coming next with the drive here on LMFM Radio. Late lunch back tomorrow, 1.30. See you then. Mm -hmm.